This is an 18 Maiden Lane production. Just a quick content warning at the top. Uh, we do discuss themes of mental health, abuse and suicide. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Heavenly Features, a podcast where myself, Sophie and my friend Kim. Hey, how's it going? Um, we come together to talk about films, uh, mainly because it's something that we love doing together normally when when we're in the same country, but Kim has abandoned me and gone to France. And so we're doing this over the internet, uh, some shocking internet, but we're going to keep going um, and talk about some films that we've chosen to talk about this week. So Kim, which film have you decided to talk about this week? Okay, so uh, this week uh, I chose Inception, um, which is written and directed by Christopher Nolan. Uh, it's a thief who steals corporate secrets through the use of dream sharing technology is given the inverse task of planting an idea into the mind of a CEO, but his tragic past may doom the project and his team to disaster. That's the IMDb synopsis. Um, so this film stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Elliot Page. Um, yeah, and it's just a bit of a mind bending dream sort of scape film. Okay, so yeah, that's the film I chose this week. Uh, had you seen it before, Soph? No, I hadn't seen it before. Okay, okay. What did you think of it? Um, it's one of those weird kind of things where I was kind of... For, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, I had decided it wasn't really a film that I wanted to watch. But actually, watching it, I did enjoy it. So, <laughs> obviously, I just get in my own way sometimes. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. I, but... I would never know that about you. <laughs> <laughs> but I did... I, I did really enjoy it, so thank you for recommending it. Of cool. So, so was there a particular kind of thing that you thought was interesting about this film that you, what you know, like the reason why you wanted to recommend it to share it? Um, well, I mean, for me, the first I've only seen this film like a couple of times before, and I always, I always loved the like cinematography of it, and I loved the the mm. just the whole way it's made. I just think was like a fascinating film to watch and obviously like Hans Zimmer's score it's got a great like it's great to listen to but I think the main thing for me is the the idea of of being able to plant ideas into people's minds and that yeah. like even, even if it's not necessarily planting things into into people's minds like ideas festering like a virus it like it's so it rings so true with me like like I've got uh anxiety so it, I have a thing where like I have like intrusive thoughts and they'll just like fester away and like I can't get rid of them so I just think it was fascinating to see it from the point of view of people putting those ideas in your mind yeah because often you get like stories where you see somebody putting ideas in people's minds but it's through like manipulation not through technology yeah. so it kind of had a different spin on this a different kind of angle on it which um yeah, I just thought it was it was really interesting. And I thought it was really good at kind of obviously like the cinematography and everything was absolutely stunning and like looking at the obviously the effects and everything that that they must have man uh, you know done to achieve um what is a very kind of almost balletic in some scenes. Yes. Especially kind of like film. the Joseph Gordon Levitt um, like bits like Yeah. I mean anything with him I could just watch yeah. him do anything, but <laughs> 
Exactly. I mean, thank you for sneaking him in. I didn't realise he was in the film. So I was more than happy to know that he was in it, that Elliot Page yep. was in it, and Killian Murphy. Oh, I know. I mean, come on. Just three I mean, beautiful men. Like Exactly. Uh, and I mean, you know, they're not always our types, but I enjoy yes. it. <laughs> so, though, must admit, I my soft spot for Killian Murphy will always be Breakfast at Pluto. Oh. In Pluto? Breakfast. Breakfast on, on Pluto. On... <laughs> on Pluto. <laughs> it's been a long time, okay, uh, since I watched that film, but he was so stunning in that film. Oh, 100%. So, put it on the watch list. Um... <laughs> But no, I really enjoyed how it kind of um, took a different approach to looking at um, mental health and um, like the psychology behind um, individuals and how um, our decisions are made and whether they are our own choices or whether we are manipulated by outside forces. Yeah. Now, obviously, this takes it in a very literal kind of way where people are literally invading his mind yes. but we all can be subjected to people invading our thought processes and us not realizing um that the decisions we feel we're making have, have actually been coerced by others Which, and it's it's done so. like it's done constantly if you look at the different media even like if you look at the different if you watch different news channels you'll be told the same mm. story in different ways so you'll have a different yeah. take on it if that's all you watch and yeah, the thought of someone invading your dream because I've I've had it so many times where I I've woken up and been and not remembered whether what's happened was in the dream or if it had happened in reality. Oh, definitely. So it's so easy to be like for it to be a thing where you could be manipulated in a dream. Obviously, it's slightly different. They're like they have like architects and create entire yeah. worlds, which is fascinating. Yeah, well, definitely, because I, I, uh, I don't really have it anymore, but I used to have this recurring dream when I was a child about being at a christening, and I can't, for the life of me, distinguish whether that was me kind of remembering something that I'd actually been to, or whether it was a dream. Do yeah. you know what I mean? I mean, obviously, it happened in my unconscious, it happened in a, in a dream state, but was I reliving something that was like a, a hidden memory, something that was there, but I had didn't have full access to in like um, a waking state. Or was it um, something that I just made up and then relived over and over in a, in a dream? That's, and yeah. it actually kind of formed my understanding of who I was in some way. And ways. did anything in the, like, did anything at the christening happen, like in your dream or in reality, depending on whether it was real or not? Like, was there a specific thing or was it just literally like any other christening you've been to? Well, I don't really remember being to any christenings <laughs> other than this christening. So, yeah, I don't think I've actually ever been to one. So I, I remember running around with my cousins yeah. in it. Now, this could possibly be a memory of the christening of my younger brother. Yes. That I'm remembering. Or is it just completely made up? It's so, it's so mad. And I just... It's interesting the way that, you know, dreams or our unconscious state can infiltrate our waking moments in, in such bizarre ways. Oh, 100%. I remember I used to have this dream, like this recurring dream as, as a child. And like, I haven't had it since I was a child, but I used to have it so often where I, it would just be the most mundane day and we'd be in, like, I'd be at home and my grandma would be over and then uh the rest of the family would turn up now the dream would change like each time in the sense that 
different members of my family would turn up and we'd all just be having like a mm. nice time in the like dining room and then I would need to go to the toilet and the only toilet was in the kitchen in the dream so it was on full display to everyone and that's the only reason I knew that it was a dream and then I'd always wake up at that point Ah. really like embarrassed and I'd wake up feeling embarrassed interesting but that's the only reason you didn't have a French song you didn't have a French song waking you up no no unfortunately no (laughs) no it was it was just my my uh, like ridiculous embarrassment would wake me up each time interesting so it's like the things that would have been like a horror to happen to you in your real life were were essentially the fears that plagued you in your sleeping yeah and i think i think moments. a lot of it because obviously i i'm like the youngest of six and my family like has always had like an open house policy where people could just come and go like so we'd mm. always have someone there so i like thinking about it after like when i was older i was like maybe it was that i was trying to look for some privacy because i like i'm very much an introvert Mm, so maybe it was me feeling like everything's on display but as a child the only way you can put that into your brain is like oh well i have to do my most private things in front of everyone it might explain why so many years later anxiety is such a a thing for you though yeah because it seems like you're almost having anxiety dreams as a child yeah. as well oh i've had i've had yeah i've had anxiety <laughs> my entire life i'm just i'm just i'm a mess <laughs> yeah a neurotic mess <laughs> <laughs> but at least i know that bathrooms are now you know behind closed doors where i can lock them Maybe you were just ahead of the curve and you knew that, you know, bathrooms were going to become a big conversation piece in in our modern times. <laughs> <laughs> About who could use bathrooms and where That's, and who's yes. allowed to have privacy. Well, uh, you were just a pioneer. Uh, maybe, yeah, because I've always had bathroom anxiety because I always used you to have. get kicked out of bathrooms when we were, yeah. like, teenagers. Yeah. Yeah, they always mistook you for not being female. Yeah, they would always, they would always just be like, "You're a boy, get out." As, even when I was like, which in a skirt, you know. Yeah, but I mean, in in some ways, they weren't wrong. You're not cisgender. That's that's true. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> Damn them! This was traumatizing. <laughs> so. Uh... So tangential. Uh, I saw this movie primarily as being a movie about, uh, sorry, uh, grief for me. Oh, yeah. Watching it. I thought that was like one of the main kind of uh, things I took away from it was how pervasive grief and guilt can be um, to a person to a point where they, they cannot escape those feelings. In fact, those those feelings actively keep popping up you can't um uh you can't escape that they keep trying to almost attack you yeah it's, it's invasive and, invasive thoughts again yeah and how like grief can distort time so this idea that when they go into the dreamscape or like into the mind this is um it, you uh 5 minutes in reality is like hours and hours in the dream world yeah. and i just thought it was it was really interesting because i i also think that like grief distorts time 100%. um in in the way that you experience the world around you everything slows down everything um is 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 less important you don't notice the things that are changing around you because you're so maybe um uh, taken over by these extreme feelings um 
but I also thought for him, for this is uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, I cannot remember Cobb. his name. That's him. Yeah, like a, like a salad. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know why. I thought that as I was watching it. Clearly my mind makes associations. Um, <laughs> but um, I also questioned, is he um, really fighting this grief? Or is he willing to succumb to it? Because it seemed like he was so transfixed on certain points in his life that he revisited. So at the end, obviously, we're left to probably interpret, or at least I interpreted, that he chooses to not live in reality rather than because the spinning top keeps going round and round and round. He chooses to stay with his children. But they don't grow they are always the same. We're meant to think that he has uh, been away from them for a, at least a couple of years, um, was my understanding. It was a significant period of time, and yet they are the same in his memories as they are. Like, we never see their faces. He's never able to look at who they are, see how they've changed. It's almost like he, he would prefer to live in this life that maybe reminds him of his wife, because that's how old they were when... They were together. But then he's then he's fighting to... so much to get back to reality and back to his children. And then it's it's left open ended at the end, which is what I love, like when the spinning top is spinning. And it starts to waver, but it definitely doesn't ever fall. So it's it's up to mm. your interpretation whether you want to be oh, happy ending he got back and everything's fine, or is he in another dream somewhere, like what reality he's in oh. and whether it's whether reality is what we are living or whether reality is perceived or what we're what reality is imagining yeah yeah see i definitely read it as he's chosen to give up ah okay i definitely read it as that for many reasons one in his when um i don't know any of their character names elliot page when they go (laughs) down the elevator into his different thoughts um into his into his mind he revisits that scene over and over again because it's a a poignant one for him and so the scene is so clearly mirrored and they haven't aged that I felt that that was a distinct reason why he's choosing to not live in reality and then there are there's quite a few things where they talk about other people who come to sleep because they prefer to live their existence through their um these these dreams through the through the unconsciousness yes. rather than facing reality and i felt like he had succumbed to that yeah um but then it could also that was my interpretation interpreted that it all went to plan in the end so he was away for decades in his dream saved mm. the guy they all wake up that your man makes the phone call he lands he gets through he's collected by michael kane and they go home happily ever after that's in reality so there's there's all different ways you can interpret that ending, mm. which which I love. I love that it's it's kind of left open ended. It's it's left up to yourself, and then you could it makes you then question reality. Yeah, I mean, I just think I was so concretely thinking that it was a certain way that I didn't see it as open ended at all. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but but that's just my interpretation. Um, I think it's my main thing was the fact that you never saw their, the kids' faces and they didn't seem to have grown you up. Did, you did, you did see the faces think. right at the end. They turn and run to him. Do they? Yeah. Oh, maybe I was focusing on the thing at the table. Yeah. Well, because it does, the camera pans down then to the thing at the table. Yeah, so... they, yeah. You're not meant to, because kind of, mm, you're not meant to true. focus maybe on they're... it because it's, that's the whole, like, you're like, you're then taken into this spinning top bit and you're like, oh, fuck, mm. is it? Did he not make it? Is it a dream? 
and then it sort of Does he it care wavers anymore? and it but it doesn't fall and it's like well if if he is in a dream he's chosen a dream with his kids because he realized that he couldn't create his wife as a complex human as much as she was because he says that to her at one point mm. um he he can't dream her to be as she was because mm. your your memories and because that aren't he going to be the same as a complex human yeah and and you can't possibly uh, rebuild love you can feel the sentiment but you can't maybe rebuild it as an arch- architect in these these in your mind as to what love is it's more of a feeling than maybe than a, than a thought yeah um um and also he had corrupted her yes. questions about that because um, <laughs> <laughs> i thought it was really interesting i thought it was actually despite him being quite a frantic character in many ways and, and, and unethical in the sense that he didn't warn the people around him of the danger that he was bringing them into when they went into this uh, unconscious state that yeah. like, they went in thinking it was one thing and they ha- he hadn't told them that there was this other danger that was going to be there which was his yes. wife turning up and trying to thwart things which is not cool and a fucking um, freight so train and stuff exactly whereas so he is um clearly a bit unethical in that way but i also felt like um we were meant to see him as being this kind of kind of sympathetic hero who has made a mistake but now he's trying to get back to his kids he's a good guy he's a good guy and then when it was revealed that actually he went into his wife's mind and essentially corrupted her thought process so much that she was unable to live her life because he essentially what he did if you want to take it out of like the specific actions in the film he essentially caused her to go into some kind of like mental health crisis through his behavior is how you could read it outside of like what's happening in the film if you're going to take it out of that scenario he has made her treated her in a way where she is a commodity and and he has affected her mental health to a point where she takes her life which so is he a good guy you could yeah you can interpret it that way or you could also interpret it that he was trying to get her out of a mental health crisis because she thought that reality was different to what, what like apparent reality is. Yeah. And so he was trying to help get her out and he did it in a clumsy way. And that's why his guilt eats him up because he couldn't save her from her mental health crisis. That is true. It can be read in both ways. Did he cause it or did he save her from it? Or was it both? Yeah. Did he save her one from one type of mental health crisis um but in the process kind of create another exactly and there's so many different ways which is why like i love i love the film that because it just brings up all of these questions that the whole thing can be interpreted in all different ways which i think actually a lot of christopher nolan films can to be honest i think he he writes in that sort of way a lot of it is all about like questioning time and like how is is time linear and stuff but with this film specifically, I just think the way it jumps around into different levels of dream and how you can come about and affect things and manipulate things and change things, but there's always that subconscious underneath, no matter what, mm. that you can't control. Yeah. It kind of also reminds me of, um, not exactly the same, but similar kind of concepts in some way, Eternal Sunshine and Spotless yes, Mind. Yes, 100%. 
Absolutely. Um, so it was, it was, it was quite similar, and only in the sense that it was dealing with the idea of playing, using technology to play around with our, with our minds, with the way that we interpret and see the world, or kind of um, how we process certain emotions. Yeah, and you can go into the mind. Yeah, another film I haven't seen in a very long time. I, honestly, I like so. well over a decade. I would say I haven't seen it. Yeah. Put it on the list. Hundred <laughs> percent. <laughs> I guess what he uh, probably one of the reasons he's probably very successful then is I think we're all uh, as people are interested in learning about how the outside world or other people in our lives um, influence our decision making and how our brain um, or our mind are we in full control of those thoughts that we have or are they prescribed or influenced um, whether knowingly or unknowingly by other people that's is it would it be correct to say that that's some of the things that you see in his other films yeah yeah yeah, 100 percent. and it's i just think that it's having any sort of questions raised in a film mm. like this like i think especially yeah. ones that are left open to interpretation which like, I think, obviously, a lot is explained in this film, but there's a lot of it that is left open to interpretation. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Which then just creates creates a narrative that you can sort of go down and choose your own way of seeing yeah. it. But then it also makes you question things. And obviously, we're doing that anyway. And the, the whole manipulation of, of ideas in your mind is something that we're constantly being told is happening and we're terrified about like back in the day when they said oh if you play a record backwards you hear the devil talking Mm. to you like telling you you must worship satan or whatever yeah like we've we've always been terrified of of being unknowingly coerced um into something um being controlled by something um that is kind of particularly if it's malevolent something out an outside force but interesting when you said about how it's kind of left on that kind of cliffhanger of uh, an ambiguity of us knowing not knowing exactly what path has been taken by cob sandwich um, <laughs> and salad um <laughs> it's just his name now then does it also kind of um become that we the audience are now controlling what happens through our own interpretations our own we're controlling what happens to the character through our own understanding of the ending so are we really the manipulators it could be different things well are we manipulating the storyline because i clearly had a very specific you know idea of what happened but you had a very different one are we controlling the narrative for our own benefit but i think that is that not exactly what they did to control the narrative of his mind for their own financial benefit and i think that if you look at the the ways that we both interpret it like i interpreted it very sort of loosey-goosey like very like oh it could be this it could be that because i'm not (laughs) so set in things whereas you interpret it you're like right well this is reality this is the (laughs) So, which is weird because normally I'm more loosey goosey. So it's it's bizarre that <laughs> I, you know, I always joke that when I did my, uh, you know, school exams, the ones I excelled in were the ones that didn't have any answers. The ones where I could go, well, maybe this, but maybe that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I did a whole degree in like theology and and shit. So <laughs> like clearly, I don't like concrete answers. Um, so it's weird that in this particular instance, I've really gone down a hard hitting yeah, narrative for myself. That's true, actually. Yeah. Yeah, As, and I think for me, like with things like this, I always interpret it in different ways. But then, like when it comes to like yeah. big life decisions myself, I tend to take a leap and just be like, "Yep, this is what I'm doing." Yeah, 
Yeah, you're very good at making a decision in that sense. Yeah, I mean, I'm terrible at making a decision. When someone says, what do you want to eat tonight? I'm like, I don't know. What do you want to eat? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but the big things, the things that matter, you're like, fuck yes, I am going to go to Australia on a whim yeah. of it. Like, I've got two months to prepare. I'm going. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's something that I think a lot of people would really struggle to do. So in many ways, you do just kind of jump into things, yeah. um, which is a strength. I wish I could, you know, do that a little bit more. I mean... It hasn't always worked out very well, but, you know. <laughs> yes, but, you know, you you move forward. That's true, that's true. <laughs> so you move forward in your life but, but, um, or, or by making those choices. Or you could look at it the other way, is that I'm constantly running from something. Mm. Well, I guess it's... I have a positive frame of mind for you, Kim. I think that you are a positive person. You're looking forward to the future. But I do wonder if, like, watching this film at different times in your life or uh, different kind of mental, you know, places in your life, um, whether you that would um, affect your interpretation of it. Oh, okay. That's yeah. That's a very interesting point. That has like when you first watched this film, has do you remember feeling similarly or different to how you feel about it now, watching it more recently? Uh, I think pretty similar. Um... Okay. It's. I mean, it came out in 2010, and I saw it, like, pretty soon after. So I don't know, maybe I was in a sort of similar place mentally. Mm. Um, or maybe it just is because I'm a bit wishy-washy with, it could be this, it could be that. It hasn't changed so much, but I'd be interested to see if you watched it when you're in a different headspace, whether you're, yeah. like, straight down the middle, he's in a dream, this is it, the end, changes. Mm. Yeah, that would be interesting to know if, like, because I'm, I'm sure that could be the case for for many people. Yeah. That the often when you visit a film, how you are feeling in that moment can drastically influence how you take in that piece of of, of art. Yeah. Um, because it, naturally, it, it's sometimes you watch something and you're like I cannot watch this either too triggering or you're not in the mood for it and all these different things but it's all about how emotionally ready you are for watching a film and if that's the case you might still be emotionally ready but the conflicting emotions that you might have at different times might affect how you um, take in that art whether you get the original message of the of the director or the writer or whatever yeah whether their um, intentions whether you whether it's um you know that you create your own thing because of who you are in that moment yeah and but also i think that the now if you watch it again even if you're in a different headspace i think we've manipulated it too much and put the idea in your head so i don't <laughs> yeah, i don't think we're going to get like you're not going to be a good guinea pig to try it out on <laughs> i'm going to wait 10 years i'll wait 10 years yeah you'll have forgotten this conversation we'll that's why <laughs> Then I'll be like, have I watched this before? Who knows? <laughs> uh, no, because um, then you'll go, Cobb, Cobb salad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember that guy. <laughs> the unethical salad. <laughs> oh, God. Um, cool. So, like, uh, any kind of things to wrap up on this film that you wanted to say before we kind of move on? Um, honestly, I think I think we've we've covered sort of my main takeaway points, like... The the intrusive thoughts for me were the main thing this time watching it because um, that's definitely something that I suffer with quite a lot. Um, luckily, not the sort of intrusive thoughts where it's like, kill someone. Um, but uh, so it, it, like watching a film where the the main character couldn't control 
the intrusive thoughts mm. and they manifested in a way that you could like really see and feel just it really spoke to me um mm. and yeah i just i just thoroughly enjoyed it and i mean you know me i love elliot page and joseph gordon levitt so <laughs> <laughs> it was easy on the eye i'm not gonna lie what about you <laughs> in many ways um no i really enjoyed it thank you for recommending it um i probably would not have got around to watching it otherwise um because you know me i make decisions that are not really um good ones <laughs> i write things off for no reason at all so um i need people like you to kind of kick me into a direction to watch something that either um i wouldn't naturally go and watch or something that maybe i even feel, would feel uncomfortable watching like when you made me watch it thank you very much um <laughs> oh you wait till like, actually, we get on some fine. of the list that i've got go forward yeah. oh no oh no you're gonna go so down the horror route and i'm gonna be just dead inside by the end um, and then i'll make you watch inception again and see how you feel <laughs> Oh yeah, there we go. That, that this is just all great. a horrible Maybe experiment will... that I've created. <laughs> it's all right though because you'll be so consumed by guilt that <laughs> you will, and you'll be grieving the old me that has you know died and gone away being, from being so traumatized by all the films that you're making. Me and watch. everyone who's listening gets to go down this journey with us. Oh yeah, you think we're gonna last that long? <laughs> we will. They won't. We'll see. Do you, do you think? given your time and place where you are now as a person, would you choose to stay in reality or go into the dream world if you had the choice? See, okay, this, I'm going to contradict myself because I would be like, dream world, obviously, you can create your own world, you can be with like the people you love and like, it would be amazing. But that contradicts my entire stance on The Matrix which is you should open your eyes and see <laughs> reality. So I'm contradicting yeah. myself, but, you know, I'm only human. So, yeah, I would definitely be in the... Given given reality at the moment, dream world. What's your... Um, what's your... Would you... Ugh. Reality or dream? I would personally say reality, only because I think that the emotions are more real, um, whereas the emotions... Um, like what you can construct and build down there obviously it's not real and therefore it doesn't have i would say probably the same effect the only thing i will say a real experience about that then is potentially negative feelings wouldn't be so intense either also i didn't actually see any tv or films down there so if there's no if there's okay, no so media not a hope yeah <laughs> That's true. He didn't just really. That's not. You know what? I don't know if it's just a copyright issue, but if that was my mind, there would be screens everywhere of random commercials that I remember, you know, little kind of ditties and songs going around that I can't get. Just loops but going around in my as head. He said, You're not meant to build from memories. Because then you get stuck then... and confused. But then I suppose if you want to stay down there and get confused. But also, like, if you're not building from memory, then you're not really building your, your own real world. You're building something that you exist in. True. Also, I think... So, reality. Yeah. Ooh, okay. Way. All right. Well, yeah, we're back to reality. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, um, so that was that was Inception. Um, so, Sophie, what about you? What film did you choose this week? So, every now and then, as in practically every week, I like to throw us back to the past. <laughs> but weirdly, 
coincidentally, this also is a film about mental health and the mind in many ways. Well, that's because we're both not as broken specific. people. Well, yeah. But um, it is one of my favourite films. So um, I've chosen to for us to watch um, a film called Now Voyager from 1942. Um, it stars Betty Davis as Charlotte Vale, a woman who is uh, diminished by her uh, elderly mother's domineering control over her um, and kind of makes her her caregiver um, because she is a child of her old age. Um, that's a consolation prize, I guess for her. Um, so through the help of Charlotte's family, um, she received psychiatric treatment from the mild-mannered and pioneering Dr. Jackworth, um, who's played by Claude Rains, who is an amazing actor. Um, <laughs> after this treatment, she then um, goes on this cruise um, to test and see if the strategies that he has given her to help her cope in the real world um, help um, and, and she can kind of do it independently. And she, um, therefore, on that... Um, on that cruise, she meets um, Paul Henreid, who plays J.D. Durrance, or Jerry, um, and he is an unhappily married man, but they both fall in love with each other on their trip to South America. Um, once they return, um, they have to... Uh, they're being respectful. Um, he's still married, obviously. He has children. Um, they decide that they must stay apart, um, despite their con uh, continuing love. Um, and so... Uh, after the death of Charlotte's mother, she gains his freedom and she um, finds a way to stay in touch with Jerry and for them to be able to continue seeing each other um, as she basically adopts um, Jerry's um, kind of unloved and shy um, daughter, Tina, who uh, Charlotte herself sees a lot of, uh, of herself in her, this, this kind of child who is um, finding childhood very difficult. Um, so... This is just, for me, it's it's a, a brilliant film. It's a film that basically has no flaws. Is it a little bit melodramatic? Yes. Is it a little unrealistic at times? Yes. Um, but I just think it's... Um a great film from start to finish um, and it was a really successful film when it was first released um, it was Betty Davis's best box office performance um, and she received her third of five consecutive Academy Award nominations so for five years she got um, nominated and she won one of them for Jezebel um, but it's just it's just such a classic film many people remember it for the um, Academy Award winning um, score um, and for Paul Henry lighting the two cigarettes and passing one to um, Betty Davis. Um, something which I did warn Kim about <laughs> because um, both of us are ex-smokers and I was like, man, if you're craving, it's certainly romanticised <laughs> smoking in this film. Um, <laughs> and it's such like a gesture that is so lost now um, for a good reason because health um, and everything but but I have I yeah. have definitely done that I've definitely had two cigarettes and lit them and given them to uh, yeah. my partner like obviously interesting back in the day. I wonder was that uh, subconscious were you aware of this image it's a really famous image nope, not aware of it at or... all I am just a gentleman no? so <laughs> oh well there we go <laughs> well it's it's what's weird is um it's often like um accredited to henry that he came up with that but it's actually in the book which yes of course i've read the book <laughs> by olive H uh, higgins prouty um and it's in the book 
So, um, and it's also in a film from 1932 uh, called The Rich Are Always With Us. So <laughs> it's not an original idea, but this is the film that kind of builds it up um, to this kind of really over-the-top, melodramatic, romantic um, gesture. Which, okay, it's- so I... I obviously had seen it somewhere or, or something. I don't know. I don't know where I got it from when I used to do it. Mm. Yeah, I, I guess, yeah, I always thought of it as kind of like a, a a caretaking thing, even though you're literally giving them a cigarette. Like, it's yeah. like, oh, you light it for them and pass it to them. Like, it's just kind of, it's kind of cute and flirty. In this, like, I, I found it very hard to find any of their relationship romantic. Oh, interesting. <laughs> okay. interesting okay i want to know why oh well i mean he was he was married and you know he shouldn't be with someone else while he's married as much as his wife is is portrayed as a manipulative controlling person who's not good for him he's choosing to stay in that marriage Mm -hmm. i think that she was in quite a vulnerable place herself so he's a married man and she's a vulnerable person and I just I found it very hard to find anything romantic about that interesting because I feel like um they were both very upfront about their situations that I like it's it's not that long into the film that um or into her meeting him that she tells him about her mental health struggles um and she knows from the beginning that he's married or not quite from the beginning but like when they're having their meal or whatever uh, maybe a cop sandwich um, <laughs> and, uh, um so she he's really upfront from that at least that point and she learns through uh, his friend deb's that um, all about his wife and so she's very aware that he is married and she walks into it anyway falling in love with him and um he kind of falls in love with her because she is so honest i think where she is very upfront uh, about her emotions in many ways because she hasn't been uh trained to like perhaps behave in a way that society expects her to because she's been trained by her mother to behave in a different way um and therefore um like she's she's quite a dark character it doesn't come across as much in the film i guess the book is more so she's got a very dark sense of humor and stuff like that and i think when maybe he's in a, a relationship where his his wife is perhaps a bit more manipulative calls herself a martyr all these sorts of things um maybe he likes that she's quite upfront. so i thought it was quite romantic but then, of course, the score always helps because it's very "We are in love" kind of singing. <laughs> See, you know, like song, isn't it? It, it definitely the is. Score. And I, I think I would have found it more romantic if they had not gotten together. But they didn't get together. But they did. They hooked up. Like they didn't end up together. But they. Well, they shared a few kisses, and he and then he when... said, "I'll stay here, and I'll every morning say to you." oh, how was breakfast? And people will just think that we... Like, how did you sleep, sorry? And people will just think that, you know, we weren't together. So for the week that they spent before she flew to meet the cruise, after their car accident, they were definitely having sex. Maybe, actually. I'd never really kind of thought of it that much. This might be my asexual side coming in. Um... (laughs) But I just... I think it would have been a lot more romantic Um... if they had clearly both been in love with each other, but 
for their for personal reasons or for him wanting to you know stay by his wife's side they had acknowledged their feelings and not acted on them or if he had left his wife see this is a difficult thing because of my asexual self um i don't necessarily both reading the book and watching the film always reach that conclusion but at the same time that might be because of the production code at the time you couldn't be that suggestive to say that that had happened um so maybe they did i didn't read it that way so oh, we'll see, see as way. soon as so... as soon as he said oh every morning when we have breakfast you can walk in and I'll say, oh, how did you sleep? It's like, oh, we'll pretend to everyone that we're not having sex, but actually we'll be sharing a room. I don't know. Whereas going back to the cigarettes, I always saw that as being um, like an indirect kiss um, where like you can, you're can, you like sharing something that is kind of both being touched by each other's lips or whatever. Um, oh, that's, it's a thing that's like, nice. I hadn't thought of it like that. Because this might be because I have spent many, many years watching things like animes and things like that, and they have a really big thing for indirect kisses, okay? Uh, particularly in like the um, teenage girl, um, uh, like mangas and things like that. Um, when I was a teenager, reading all of those, um, <laughs> they have a real thing about, oh my God, I just, you know, um, ate something that so-and-so had eaten or something and it's like it's an indirect kiss and so we're watching this i always thought it was like because they kissed a lot when they were on holiday um but when they were back in like respectable society they didn't obviously do that quite so much and they did more of the cigarettes so that's like their way of keeping it secret and it's their own like own ritual thing that they do with each other and with no one else okay yeah see i mean i don't get me wrong i loved the cigarette passing thing I didn't take it as, <laughs> as an indirect kiss, but I kind of love that reading into it. Like, I love that. <laughs> but I also think that, for me personally, and it's very much a personal thing, where um, having to hide a relationship is is not this, like, hot, sexy thing that so many people... It's a red flag. Yeah, like a gigantic <laughs> yeah. red flag. I get and that. I get, I get it for the point of view of, like, oh, maybe you're, like newly out or newly like realized you're queer and are dating so you're not like necessarily showing everyone that you're like making out with a girl or whatever but when mm. it comes to oh we have to hide the relationship because i'm married N giant red flag not okay yeah but i do think like it's not okay that they potentially have this sexual relationship at the very least they had a romantic relationship yeah. um, at sea um, or in a different country. I mean, international waters and postcodes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love how we both thought the same thing at the same time. Um, but I, um, I kind of saw it as like for, for me. Although this is clearly a romance, a melodrama, that is the point of the film um, and the point of the book. Um, for me, this film is actually more about charlotte finding herself and her own self-confidence um rather than the romance that bit i loved again it might be me no 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 because <laughs> i'm i'm not ace and i that was for me i was like yes 100 percent. it's more I about mean, her finding herself and getting out from the shadow of her overbearing controlling mother like mm. i just i i thought that that bit was like the that was the main section of the story definitely um 
so what I what I really liked is that um, first of all this was made in 1942 she receives treatment that is very much talk it out go for a few runs get out of uh, out of your situation learn some strategies to cope with it and then try and reimmerse yourself into society now that to me sounds really fucking contemporary um considering they were doing electroshock treatment well, back they then. were still doing so... that they're still doing that like so recently i was i thought exactly. i was like holy shit that doctor is ahead of his time and the best thing about that, which is like obviously not in the film, that is based on Olive Higgins Prouty's own experience of going to somewhere like Cascade, where she had someone who was like Dr. Jackworth. So That's awesome. that this was something that was experienced. And she herself, um, I believe, married into like a, a family of um, reputation um, herself. So she um, also would have been in similar positions to Charlotte where she had to play a certain role in, in society. Um, and so the fact that they obviously, obviously you had to have fuck loads of money to go there. Um, Still the same today if you want a nice place. That, yeah, but the fact that that was something that um, was shown and that mental health was not a problem and something that could be coped with and perhaps not fixed 100%, but you can grow and develop and change yeah. without having really extreme treatments. Personally, I thought that was like amazing. Um, so I always really connected with that. Um, the fact that Charlotte herself, um, she once she comes back from the cruise, the, the important thing with Jerry and why I think she falls in love with him is through him, she gains her self-confidence um, and her ability to stand up to her mother. And yes. um, when she returns home, first of all, um, Mary Wicks as the nurse, fucking love Legend. her. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, so she's um, she was in like sister act and, and quite a lot of like she was a character actor and she's just got this really quick fire wit um, about her and she's so good in these sorts of roles um, so I love her character and she comes in and helps Charlotte to again assert her freedom and then ultimately she becomes one of the richest people in Boston when her mother dies and but she doesn't choose to be courted. She doesn't choose to get married when she has opportunities to do so. She chooses to be independent. She chooses to um, not get married because she loves somebody who is unattainable for her. So she decides that she's not going to settle for anything. She's going to live her own life. Uh, she's going to take her man's child. I love the, the line about getting a cat and a parrot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yes, exactly. do it. <laughs> Exactly. And in the book, um, there's a scene that I don't believe is in the film, uh, which where Dr. Jackworth talks about how he didn't think he was suited for marriage, so he didn't get married. And he's like, you don't have to get married. You're one of the richest women in Boston. You can have everything you want. You can have your own house. You don't need a man to have a house. He literally says it yeah. in this way. You don't need a man to have a house. You don't need a man to have a child. You've got nieces and nephews that you can love and adore and keep almost as your own whenever you see them. You know, you have all this money you can influence um, so much, do whatever you want. You don't need a man in your life to get ahead. And this was, well, the film is 1942 and of course they didn't quite go there because obviously Warners did not want to do that. Um, but uh, this was copyrighted in oh, 1941, so literally the year before. Um, 
So the fact that like there's something coming out and saying you do not need a man in your life, you can do whatever the fuck you want. Obviously, she's a woman of privilege, but it's saying you don't need a man. I you thought... don't need to like you'd be ashamed of like your mental health. You yeah. like it's just yeah. It's I I thought all of those like messages were great. I didn't love the um oh calling her fat. Uh, yeah and oh. also shaving her for yeah. having hair yeah <laughs> well yeah i mean would that that would still happen today oh, though and not 100% that and that's not a criticism of the film because they did that they did that for the point of saying like the mother was trying to control her by doing this and like trying to keep yeah. her there like they weren't it happens constantly. Like I just, like yeah. I was just like, oh, and that her whole family seems to be okay with her being the person that gets bullied by everyone, and they all take apart jabs. from the sister-in-law like, this... who is the one who like got yeah. the help originally. Like yeah. exactly. I just yeah. It's it's <sighs> poor Charlotte. No wonder she was on a medicated sherry. Awfully. <laughs> Yeah, now, she really was like like so much abuse, like yeah. mental abuse. Yeah. Like it's just oh, it was it was really hard to watch the like way she was treated. Yeah, and how it's all like jokey jokey, but it was like oh no, this is fucking horrible yeah. actually. Uh, especially when you can see someone who's clearly, um, you know, she had she literally has a nervous breakdown. You can see how she has got to that mm-hmm. place. Because, you know, and, and becoming so secretive about the way that she indulges in things or behaves in certain ways because she doesn't want to be seen um, by the people who would then judge her. Yeah. But I love also that she flips it back round. And this is her dark humour. And in many ways, it's so wrong. But the fact that she starts uh, calling, um, oh, I can't remember her name now. Her niece. Uh, Le- her niece is, uh, she starts calling her Rody Poly. Yeah. Um, which is like so wrong, but it's like getting back at her for all those jabs which, over the years. It's, yeah, it's not it's not right, but it worked because the niece then was like uh, apologized and respected respected her. her and understood not to do that. Mm. And they hugged and they exactly. they had it all out like on the table, fine. And then they clearly yeah. once the mother died, it was the best thing that could have happened. Like, yeah she was out from under her manipulative controlling abusive mother yeah um who was literally trying to control her through taking her out of the of the will yes yeah absolutely which she didn't do but you know but she tried it's it's that kind of yeah and it's well or she threatened because she was trying to control her and it's just like it was just so pervasive and the fact that you know that's why for me that the the love is is like a secondary thing for me in this story um the story about mental health, about her finding her independence, about proving or showing that your parents um, can cause people to have mental health problems. Oh, yeah. It's not that, you know, like that I think is a big statement to be saying in 1942. I, you know? I liked the the thing saying, have your guns loaded, just don't fire them as a way of yeah. controlling like the situation. But I I didn't yes. like the the way that it was, and it's obviously of of the time for sure. But it's still it's still done today, where it's like, oh well, she's your mother, so you have to, you have to like love her. You have to put up with it. You can deal with the situation and learn how to cope with it, but you can't do anything about it, really. 
Well, I think I think that Jackwith knew that Charlotte didn't want to eradicate her mother from her life. Yeah. She wanted to try and come to a truce. And I think that's why he was like, well, you're still going to have to respect her. You're still going to have to go along with certain things, but you do need to stand up for yourself a little bit. Just don't fire you know, off and, and get her upset, you know, and, and that kind of did work for it did, her. 100%. But, um, it just isn't, isn't necessarily the way for everyone. Um, like just no. because you're, they're your parents or they're your family doesn't mean you have to keep them in your life if they're abusive or, mm. or don't accept think, you who you are. I think that Charlotte wanted her in her life. She just didn't want to be treated the way that her mother treated yeah. her. I think that was the difference. Um, if she had been a character who wanted to just get out and get away, I think that the advice would have been very different. Yeah. I think the best so. thing that they... Like, the fact that, obviously, it's a very privileged position to be in that she could afford to go to this mm. place and then go on a cruise. But that's the best thing mm. I think that they could have done after being in treatment, be like, okay, you're okay. Now go out, put these to the test in the real world. But it also meant that she had that yeah. time being out, being by herself, living yes. in the real world and not being under the thumb of her mum and also not having the doctors to rely on. Yeah, definitely. She finds her own feet. And some of that is through slowly gaining confidence through Jerry. It's through Jerry that she he encourages her to go out when she would rather stay in. He makes her um, socialise with both himself and his friends. Yes. And then by the time she's left him behind on the cruise, he's still in South America, she's, you know, coming off the, the ship and everyone's saying, you must get in touch. Uh, yeah. And she's become this social butterfly. And they said that she was the most popular person on the cruise. Exactly. Like... So, and, and the gestures that he makes, that's why I think, like... I, I mean, I don't ever really look at it that they've acted on their relationship too much, personally. I mean, it's, it's down to interpretation, I guess, that maybe my naivety. But um, I think that he really helps build her up, and that's one of the reasons she falls in love with him. And then the gestures of sending the uh, camellias and all these sorts of things um, help boost her confidence when she needs it the most. And it's not in the film, and it really annoyed me, because when I read the book, which I read recently, and I know I shouldn't keep going back to the book, but when I read the book, um, it's actually revealed that Jerry himself has also had a nervous breakdown, and he reveals that to her at the same time that she reveals to him her own situation. Um, and I think that also helps solidify their connection. Maybe, do you think that potentially that wasn't in the film because... It was back when, you know, men are meant to be men and strong and stable or... Yeah. Yeah, you think that that's... I think it's because it was 1942 and there was a war yeah. um, as well. I think trying to show American men as... I mean, I know Paul Henry is not American, but the character is meant yes. to be. Um, <laughs> and um, so I think that um, they were trying to maybe show him as being a more stable character, perhaps. Um I think it is a disservice to the story. I think it shows even more so why they connect um, and why they both have this understanding of Tina, that which we haven't really talked about, but and, this understanding of Tina that other people don't seem to have. And also why maybe he hasn't left his wife. It's not just out of sense yeah. of duty. If she's sort of similar to the mother figure yeah. in this controlling, yes. manipulative there's, way and he's... There's a... Yeah. 
Like it, there's a lot of mirroring happening. So he, his wife is a bit like her yeah. mother, controlling the situation. But you also have she has this early fling um, in her past. You see it through her memories with Leslie Trotter, um, and um, she loses that battle with her mother. But she manages to keep herself um, and her confidence and her vitality when it comes to Jerry yes. with her mother. Not that her mother knows about Jerry, but like she doesn't lose that yes she just doesn't tell her mother about it and she's still secretive but she wins yes in the end in that way so uh, there's lots of things that show how um you know the fact that she goes to have a nervous breakdown obviously or she's having a nervous breakdown goes to cascade the second time um she goes to have a nervous breakdown at cascade she goes you know what i've decided against it <laughs> <laughs> I just thought I was like, I wish I could do that sometimes. You know what? I've decided no. I'm not going to Actually, do I'm just going to go and get ice tennis. cream and play tennis. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Now, okay. Now, but... this is obviously not at all where the film went. Um, but I think it's just because I'm so into true crime. When she turned up and, the, and Tina was there the second time mm. and she started hanging out with Tina, I was like, Oh, this is not good. This is this would not be allowed now. Like, she's basically manipulated this kid into hanging out with her, and then she's like, like kidnapping her and running off into camping in the wilderness, and then is like, "Come live with me in my home, away from your mother and father." Like, I was like, "Oh, Jesus Christ!" Like, this is bad. Yeah. I mean, thankfully, there are things in this film that are not realistic, I would hope. Uh, in the same way that Dr. Jackwith manages to um, heal everyone's um, eyesight, uh, just because he doesn't want him to wear glasses. Um, <laughs> it seems to be like really weird, random things in there like that. Because um, it happens with Tina as well. Suddenly she's not which, wearing glasses so, and she's got her braces off. Which, um, again, <laughs> is, is similar. That It shows the, the parallels between the wife... And like Tina's mother and and um, mm. what's her face's mother, Charlotte. Charlotte's mother. Oh, um, yeah, Gladys Cooper. Because I can't remember her name. they, Mrs. Vale. Miss, yeah, Mrs. Vale and um, <laughs> and Mrs. Jerry um, had um, <laughs> yes, um, they um, <laughs> like obviously the they wanted the daughters to be quote unquote ugly and. Oh yeah, true. So maybe the reason they put glasses they on both... was because they both they were like, this is a way that will hide them away, keep them manipulate yeah. them, keep them under our thumb. And then the doctor was like, you don't need glasses because there's like your eyes are grand. We've taken you to the optician. There's no issues. True. That's just your mum controlling you. Yeah, though the interesting thing I think is that Charlotte's mum wants to control her and keep her close, and Tina's mum wants to control her and keep her far away. Because they're both late babies. Yes. Um, and that's like the kind of disassociation for them of, of treating them like real human beings. Yeah. Um, but yes, I agree. Like the whole thing with Tina is slightly creepy um, and hopefully would not happen um, nowadays. Because she's like, I've seen you in a picture. I'm going to pretend I don't know who you are. Yeah. <laughs> um, or that I know your father. And all these. It's, it is a bit weird. I'm not going to lie. It is a bit strange. But she managed to have a child without having to get married. Which <laughs> she found a way. And without having to have sex with a man. Why do you think I like this as an asexual <laughs> person? Like, she got a kid without having sex? It, the movie kind of split in two for me there. Where yeah, it does. It, like, yeah. 
it went away from being like I mean although it still did have the narrative of her picking herself up and like becoming her mm. true self and like helping her with her mental health and and getting getting healthy and getting happy and it had that all the way through but mm. it also then had this like underlying are the cops going to show up at any minute because this crazy lady <laughs> yes. and I don't mean that in a mental health way I mean like she has she's acting acting in a bizarre way yeah and she's (laughs) stolen a child (laughs) like yeah well she doesn't technically steal her but yeah the the way that i mean and paul henry uh sorry jerry he does know that it's charlotte yes before yeah quite early on in that situation which also i'm like it is a bit strange what sort of father like i get he has her he has a daughter call she has a daughter call her the, the pet name that he yes. calls her like it's it's, it's weird really weird and it's, really it's manipulative <laughs> at the very beginning i was like is she manipulating the child so she can get back with the dad is she is she gonna do something bad like is she like manipulating the whole situation when she th- th- thinks about taking her tina camping i was like are they gonna just run off and not see anyone ever again i think I think like it's meant to be a lot more innocent than maybe it comes across, particularly to a modern audience. Um, I think it's meant to be really innocent that she sees a lot of herself in Tina. Yeah. And um, so she takes her under her wing. And it's also, it's a way for her to respectfully see Jerry yes. without it being seen um, as inappropriate in society. Um, I think that's what it's meant to be. But you could just put a red filter on it and some creepy music and you'd be like, what the heck is going on? But I on? think also it's like, <laughs> yeah, it was obviously it was in the 40s, whereas anything sort of post-1970 is like true yeah. crime, de- stranger danger, like. <laughs> yeah. But in the 40s it was just like, yeah, send your kid off to wherever. Like, that's great. Either to mm. get away from bombs or to get away from mothers. <laughs> like, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So anyway, that was, you know, I just thought it's one of my favourite films. Weirdly enough, like I got into uh, old cinema when I was at uni and I kind of, this was one of the first films that I bought in a, in a box set of Betty Davis films. She was one of my like first um, old movie stars that I, I watched loads of her stuff. But weirdly, years later, I found out that it was my um, grandma's favourite film. And that my mum also really likes it. So I quite often sit down with my mum and watch it and she has a good cry. Um, <laughs> oh, that's really cute. But, <laughs> um, so that's one of the reasons why I guess maybe it's also a special film for me in that sense. But um, it's one of the reasons I wanted to kind of talk about it and share it today. And also how crazy it is that both Claude Rains and Paul Henry filmed this and then literally the next day went and filmed Casablanca. Two uh, really quite um, like well-remembered films from that period of the early forty uh, early forties. Yeah. Like now we need to think about what we're going to watch next week. So do you have uh, a recommendation for us to watch? Uh, I do. Um, so I got inspired this week uh, because, as you know, I'm a huge fan of Elliot Page, um, and obviously watching mm-hmm. him in Inception, I was like, oh, maybe I'll throw in another Elliot Page. Um, so I've gone mm-hmm. for My Days of Mercy. Um, I don't know if you've seen it. But it's with him and Kate Mara. I haven't. Um, okay. And yeah, it's uh, it's basically all about the uh, death penalty. So 
goes plays into my true crime obsession as well. Um, so what about you? So I'm going to choose a film that I know we've both seen, but I don't think either of us have seen it for quite a long time. So it's, I had this on VHS, so you will definitely have seen it because it came out quite a lot at old school sleepovers. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to recommend a very different film from Now Voyager. <laughs> The Faculty. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay. I have not seen this in so long and I am so excited to revisit. Uh, that's this week's Heavenly Features. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, hope you enjoyed and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, you can also follow us on Instagram at Heavenly Features Pod. Um, we'll put up stuff from this episode and a reminder of what we're going to be watching next week. Um, so, we will look forward to uh, seeing you next time. All right, have a good one. Bye. (laughs) This podcast was brought to you by 18 Maiden Lane Productions.